sit in the middle of this. And so those of us who are in this room, just catch this. Those in this room are saying, God, we, we want to overcome. We want to overcome mediocrity. We want to overcome lethargy. We want to overcome self-satisfaction. We want to find our satisfaction only in you. To that group of people, we sit in the middle of lightning and thunder and colors and noises. And I mean, it's, it's in Revelation, the fourth chapter, and this is the neat part about the Bible. Those chapters actually connect. That's news for me. It took me a while to kind of figure that out. Third chapter wasn't the ending. It said, you sit in the middle of this, and chapter 4 of the book of Revelation starts to just describe this cacophony of passion around the throne room of God, and it was vast. And, and you know, it talks about pills of thunder, P-E-A-L-S, no pills, peals of thunder. That's my southern brogue coming through. It talks about colors and lightning and, and these wild creatures and all of them are around the throne of the king and they're singing of his goodness and they're amazed by him and it's just such a great thought and it and it keeps working its way down and it says oh by the way the 24 elders who wore their crowns they simply took them off because their importance was of nothing compared to the joy and abounding goodness of God who was before them so they just took off their crowns and they fell at the feet of the living God and they started worshiping with all of the colors and all the light and all the creatures and all of the wings and all of the eyes and all of the crazy things going on. And, and then all of it, I mean, it's just, it just gets glorious. And then he starts talking about, I, I'm going to get the chapters wrong, but I think chapter 5. And oh, by the way, every tribe and tongue and nation and people are going to join in this heavenly force that's moving toward the king of glory. And it's going to get even bigger. And it's going to grow and grow and grow. And, and, and this, is the, this is the joy of transformation if... If you kind of go, I don't really look forward to singing the rest of my eternity in heaven. Actually, what's happening in heaven is you are becoming more and more attuned to the things of God. And as best I can understand this, transformation is constantly happening in heaven because they would rise up and stand up and then see another glimpse of God and they would fall back on their faces crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That suggests to me that there was another glimpse of the greatness of God that's grabbed in heaven. I mean, it's just, it's going on. And then he comes all the way down to the end, and this is what we participated in, and I'm just leading after this. All this is free. This isn't in my notes. I'm just singing and worshiping today. And he comes down to the end, and he says, here's what's happening. All of creation is singing. All on the earth, under the earth, around the earth, all of God's people, all of the people who are not of God, they're all, they're all, just some of them, it's personal. I'm praying that's true for you, that you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Redeemer, as Messiah, as Lord of all, not just with all of creation, because there is a portion of creation that will move away and fall away from the things of God and spend eternity separated from Him. But it says all of creation will see this and they will sing this song. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I love this thought as we're in worship today. I'm wondering if you acknowledge God as this. To him be glory and honor and dominion and power forever and forever. And then it says that they all broke out. And I don't think they were like, you know, Southern Baptists under their breath. Amen, you know. You know, I think they broke out. And I think they were... Yeah, some of you are going, we're not going to break out that much. I know you will in heaven. So just, you know, you will. One day, you're going to be free from all the constraints of worrying about what other people think. And you're going to see God for who he is. And you're going to go, God, you are amazing. I had an encounter, and now I'm actually starting with my notes. So here we go. I had an encounter this week with my 8-year-old. If you, if you want to turn with me, we exist to lead. And we're leading people somewhere. 
And in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, there's some amazing verses that just talk about some things that we should be about as a church and leading. And I was having the best conversation with my eight-year-old. Her name is Julia. Her, her um, older brother, John Mark, has to get to school 30 minutes before her. So we just end up sitting in the car and having, um, I tell her, it's the best 30 minutes of my day. No offense to Leanne Powell, who I come to work with for the rest of the day, or Tog, or any of that, but the best 30 minutes of my I look at her, and she just beams, and she's, she started talking to me, and she started saying something, um, I believe it was Wednesday of this week, and she said something along the lines of, she's talking about sharing her room, being tired of her little sister, in love, and she said, you know, Dad, do you think that I have to share a, a room in heaven? And we had this great conversation. She thinks it's fundamentally unfair that her sisters don't have to share a room. And I said, I won't tell you what I said. But anyway, I, I just said, they may one day soon. We'll just see what God wants to do with our family. And so um, we were just kind of sitting and talking about that. And she says, do you think I'll have to share a room in heaven? So I got to talk to her. And I said, listen, listen, listen. And I, I was quoting the Bible. just started quoting scripture to her. I said, listen to what your Savior says about you. He says that he is, he is going to prepare a place for you. And, and I love this. Her eyes lit up and she started beaming. I said, Jesus is a carpenter. He loves to build. And he's going to build a place for you. And if he, if he is going to come again, he wants you to be where he is. And he wants to create this room and space for you. And her eyes are lit. For the next 20 minutes, we designed for Jesus her room. And I am confident he heard it. And that was absolutely awesome. Until two nights later, this was Friday night of this week, she, was, she, was, she has um, on weekends, I don't know why this is a tradition, but she has a pallet in our room all weekend so she can like be near her parents. This is a, that's a good biblical metaphor for our love for the Lord. And she has a pallet and she's laying there sleeping and she's got a theology book in her hand for children. And I love this. And I love what she looked at me and said. She said, Daddy. I said, What? She said, it's better than you and I dreamed of. And I I heard her listen. She had heaven laid out. I looked over and glanced. I thought, this is about to get good. And she she starts saying, Dad, did you know that there are streets of gold in heaven? And I said, yes. Is that not awesome? She said, forget the Hello Kitty. That's better. And we, she went on and she was reading this to me and she was so, so, so excited and she was so thrilled. Can you pass that to, no, you don't, don't touch that. You, you'll try to give it, you'll give that to your husband. And so uh, she was so thrilled and she was, she was looking and saying, dad, your eschatology is so bad. You think, she didn't use that word. She would, she would not know that word. Most, some of you don't know that word. Your, your thought about the end times is so bad. You, you have my walls, Hello Kitty. God has my walls with jasmine and jasper and carnelian and streets of gold. And Dad, the gates are made with pearl. And she was so excited. You know what I realized? It's just flipping on a light for my kid. But, but I, I walked away from that story thinking that's our role for everybody that we run into to turn on a light. And to say the bread of the presence... All honor, all glory, all worth, all dominion, it is all to him, all for his glory. And, and, and get this, if an eight-year-old get this somewhere in the hearts of the crusty older people that surround you and your spheres of influence, they still long for that. And they still long for some of us with wide eyes to have the hope of heaven. And I'm not referring to people in this church, I'm referring to the, to the loss and apart from Christ. 
They long for people who are wide-eyed and have, Jesus said it well, have hearts of children who, who are reading at night the depths of Scripture and saying, did you know? And lights are being turned on for us, so then we walk around, and we're, the role of the church is to flip on lights. And to say, there is one that we illuminate. If you haven't been here through this series, it is just Jesus is the showbread. That is the role of the church. If we miss that, we miss our mission. We exist as a body of Jesus Christ to lead, and we best know where we lead, and that is supremacy and wonder and awe of Christ. And that's what we must be about. And so um, I love Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. If you guys want to um, turn with me. Um, and let's just kind of read this together. In, in chapter Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 12, it is such great thoughts about leadership and about what God is calling us to. And, and we'll close this and move into the expectancy of transformation next week. And then we'll close that the next week by talking about the supremacy of Christ, that we exist to lead people to transform living through Christ. That's our mission. We, we've got to wrap, nail this part down, God. We, we want to impress upon hearts and, and demonstrate in lives the hope that we have. I want to have conversations with many 8-year-olds and 80-year-olds whose eyes are wide open saying, did you know this about my Lord? And lights come on. Lights are coming on. Look, we must be I have, the only word that comes to mind is ecstatic, and, and, and we must be passionate about turning on lights for the hope of Christ. That's, that's all that counts. And so chapter 6, verse 4, once again, Moses is speaking to a people who are going to a land of plenty. They've been in a land of not much. Now they're going to a land of much, filled with milk and honey, filled with, I love these verses, I'm going to read them, filled with buildings we didn't build, with vineyards we didn't plant, and things that we never gained don't think it's yours. And he says, so here's how you should lead. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your strength. These commands I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. That's just an amen from you. Moses is looking at the people and saying, this has to be on your heart or you will lead no one nowhere. So these commandments I give to you, I ask you to lay them deeply and root them deeply in your hearts because I'm going to ask you to do something with them next. But if they're not on your heart, then you're not taking anyone on a journey. So I want your heart to be deeply impassioned for the fact the Lord, our God, the Lord is one and I want you to be in love with him. And I don't want to move past that too easily or just say, we got to get to the next deal by next week. I want us to park there and say, God, I mean, honestly, with our hearts before him, if we could just take them out of our chest and say to God, God, do you sense a love for you from me with my heart and soul and my strength? Is that what I'm giving to you? Because I'm not going to get this part B until I come to you and say, Lord, here is my heart. I love you. Because he says... Out of your hearts, I want you to impress these commandments and truths on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. This should dominate your life. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you don't forget the Lord. Such a huge, and I'm praying these scriptures, not any words of mine are convincing on my part, but that the work of the Holy Spirit will root itself in. This is Deuteronomy 6 in its ultimate. Fathers, impress something on your children. He's doing it right now. <laughs> That's so cool. I love you, John Mooney. Look, this is why, because you're God. And this, this is so profound. He led you out of Egypt. Your God led you out of slavery. I mean, there is... I, I'm struggling because there's like 19 weeks worth of stuff to talk about in this. I mean, you, you want to impress this because you were in bondage. You were in slavery. The gospel didn't come into your life so that you could ask Jesus into your heart and do something for yourself. The gospel came into your life so that you're, to go with the song today, your dead heart would beat. You didn't bring anything to the table. He rescued you out of slavery. He redeemed you by his goodness. The soak-stained cross of Jesus Christ, covered with his blood, stepped in as redeeming hope of you and of me. And we come into this middle that's saying, Oh God, that means that we are captivated by you. We landmark our lives for your glory, and we live for all that you're about. Oh God, impress that on us deeply. We love you passionate about you. Don't you love the, the picture of, of Moses? Anytime he said to the people, I want you to go on this journey. I want you to be about this. Anytime. In fact, I'm reading through the Bible in a year right now and when you read through the Bible in a year, Moses, you start to look at Moses and say, I mean, can you not say that story again? It's like the 37th time you told that story but here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, our God is trustworthy. Our God is faithful. I mean, can't you picture him? He's, he's telling them, I want you to go into this great land. I want you to do these great things. But here's why I want you to do that. Because don't you remember? God is the God who rescued you out of bondage. God is the God when you were enslaved and all you could do was cry out to him. And you had, you had the weight of, to go with us in our spiritual day, the weight of sin, the weight of what you could never overcome, piled on your back. And here's what the evil one who put you in slavery kept doing. He piled more and more and more and more on you. And all you could do was cry out, oh God, help us. And God stepped in with a great redeemer in Moses. And he steps into our lives with a great redeemer in Christ and loosens that burden. Don't you love that God? I love that God, but then he just carries on. But he's not just the God that does that. He's the God that walks you to the edge of abyss in journey with you, and you stand in the middle of a river. Actually, you're not in the middle. Well, you are in the middle of it, ultimately. You stand in the middle of a body of water saying, God, we don't know where to go next. And God, in all of his glory, and Moses loves to tell these stories, he just simply says, I will split this for you, and I will overwhelm your enemies, and I will walk through this with you. When you walk hungry, don't you remember when you were starving in the desert? And I, I mean, I, this, does this get old for you? I mean, I, this, I'm, just, I'm, I'm going, are you kidding? I've heard these stories since I was three years old, and I still can't fathom this reality, that, that bread would fall from the heavens, and they would gather just enough for that day so that they would rely on the Lord. 
Don't get more. It'll spoil. Just take what you need because I am your God. And Moses would stand before them and tell why I these stories. And oh, by the way, when you get tired of manna, I'll throw some quail your way for a little while. You'll get tired of that too. But don't tire of me because I'll strike a rock and you will walk freely. And then Moses looks and says, remember that body of water? It's nothing now. You're getting ready to do it again. To walk into the land of promise. Can you not picture the New Testament churches? They would look at each other in the same way. Peter, Paul, they would have these gatherings. John, and they would say, man, Jesus is resurrecting the dead among us. People are being healed among us. This is even better because the dead die again. Jesus is bringing salvation among us. He is rescuing hundreds and thousands by the day. Jesus is feeding the hungry and he's setting free the imprisoned. And can you imagine their stories? And I just would throw this thought out. So what has been our stories today? How do we match that? And I don't mean match it as in what is what conversations have happened around your Bible studies or with your friendships or around the coffee today that superseded the college domain of a ball and interceded with the movement of a living God who is passionate and moving in this planet? I'm just wondering, I'm wondering how we match up into the pages of the scripture. Because when Moses would tell stories, I, here's, here's what I want. I, just, I want to stand before you and say, do you remember when God did this in Mandarin? And we've got a lot of those stories. I mean, they're all over the room. I'm looking, I can start right now and just roll for the next while. Do you remember when God moved in our hearts? Do you remember when he did this? He is faithful. And here's what he's saying. He said, impress this on your heart. Fall in love with him. And oh, by the way, pass that on to the next generation. And I'm just wondering if we will just stop and give pause and say, okay, Holy Father, what stories have I told today? And maybe better than that, what lights have I turned on? grandmas, grandfathers in the room. When is the last time you gathered gathered the grandkids around you and just started telling them of the goodness and faithfulness of God throughout the generations? Do that. I have a story about my grandmother. I I think I'll get to it today. If not, I'll do it next week. But my grandmother spoke the greatness of God into my heart. My grandmother probably spoke 200 words in her whole lifetime. One of the quietest people I've ever been around, but my grandmother spoke to me of the greatness and goodness of God. That is exactly what Moses is doing. He is saying, I want you to have this this impression of God. And I, I, I think that what he is saying to us is, I want you to paint great pictures of God because you're living in the middle of a great God. And there's three things that I see that he's telling to this group as we exist to lead and turn on lights. He's saying, look, there's a kingdom cornerstone I want you to get. And I think this is a cornerstone that breaks my heart for the typical church. And so this is called a cornerstone for a reason. It is the foundation of the entirety of the building. Moses is looking at a group of people, and I I just want you to hear this. And and, um, I, I think I can suggest that this is the foundation of the building because Moses spoke this into the Shema, which would be one of the most impacting documents of of the chosen people of Israel to this minute. And then the Lord picked up this verse and said, if I could hinge everything on these words, I would hinge them on these words. This is the cornerstone. And he's looking and saying, I want you to understand there's one word, one thing, one reality, one truth that separates religious orthodoxy from passionate following of Jesus Christ. It is a massive shift 
It is a huge change because here's what we incline ourselves to. We like religious orthodoxy. We like what we're comfortable with. And let me just throw this thought at you. God won't typically foster comfort for you. As I read the New Testament, he is typically moving and making us uncomfortable, bringing us to radical places, calling us to come and die. That's what he's asking from us. And so I, re- I read this and I think, God, the kingdom cornerstone, how do I get to that? You won't get there with religious orthodoxy, with the best traditions of men. You get there by Jesus saying one word. There is a word that separates from everything. If you love me, you'll obey me. And we, we throw that. I use that at least with kids. I mean, if you love me, you'll obey me. And I always am about the obedience part. That's the inversion of what Jesus is saying. Basically what he's saying is when you love me, the natural outflow of that, the cornerstone of the whole thing is that you'll love me. Not Israel, that you'll form up these, this is what had happened to Israel, and you overlay this to the Southern Baptist Church and maybe overlay this to your heart. Because what Israel basically did is said, we have found a whole slew of covenants. We will find the ones we can keep. We will become arrogant and proud about them. We will tell you how good we are, and we will no longer rely on God. They could have been Baptist. We're going to find the things that fit us. We're going to find the four or five. You aren't looking at my hand. We're going to find the few things that, that we think make us good, and we're going to clean the outside of the cup, and we'll clean the outside of the cup for the next days, and we're going to be good because we can walk around to our friends and say, we don't smoke or drink or cuss or chew, and we don't date boys that do or some crazy thing like that. In our Bible study, we haven't done that in forever. All the while, our hearts are calloused for the things of God. And Jesus looks at us and says, no, 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 what I'm asking from you, and what what he actually says in Exodus 26, being Moses, he said, he was painting out the whole law, and he says, here's what I want you to know about this law. There is a love that will underpin the whole law, and that love will cast itself out for a thousand generations. That is Exodus 20, verse 6. In the middle of all of this law, he says, here's what I want you to know. It's a foundation. That, that was about 40 years prior, coming off of Sinai. And then he, he comes in again and says, and oh, by the way, here is the Shema. I am going to call you to a cornerstone. I am going to ask you to do something that is antithetical to generations right now. I'm going to ask you to stop your orthodoxy and fall in love with me. I'm going to ask you to love me. And Jesus stepped in and, and did the same thing. And here, here's what, here's entropy, I think, for the Christian. Entropy for the Christian is making the faith a series of to-do lists and missing the mark of a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And if I can just say to you, the cornerstone of our journey, the cornerstone of leadership is not that you're able to look and say to the generations behind you, if you do these things, God will be happy. What the what we pass on and teach is if you love him mightily, he will take you on a journey that will surpass anything you can imagine. And we paint for the generations and the people around us these pictures of wonder and discovery and passion that don't find root in orthodoxy. There's not a lot of amen, so I'm going to carry on. It's truth. This sentence is just good for me. The only thing that separates a living faith from religious facade is the single word love. 
rules and practices are empty. But when it is filled with love, it is complete, it is full. And, and he's looking at them and saying, I want you to love him. And I want you to have that as your cornerstone to move forward because there is a vibrant trust that he talks about in loving him. And he just, he's looking at the group of people and saying, I want you to understand that when you walk into a land that you didn't build, and you walk into a home that you didn't build and a vineyard that you didn't grow, when all of this happens, here's what's going to happen. It's, it, he is calling them to a vibrant trust in God. And, and, and once again, I believe he came back to the stories. And he would sit with them and say, look, look, I press this on your heart. God was faithful in the middle of our, in the middle of our slavery. God was faithful in the middle of walking through the wilderness for the last 40 years. God was faithful in the middle of this moment. And I love this about Moses. He's painting the picture that he doesn't even go to. Hear that next generation ahead of me. He won't even experience these things, but he's looking at these, this next generation and saying, we're always painting pictures of the faithfulness and trust that you can have in God. I won't go to this land, says Moses. I won't see this land, but I want to lead you to the God who will take you there. Trust him. Because the temptation of this land, the temptation of this land is to say, I love what I built that I didn't build. I love what I'm growing. I didn't even grow it. I love, I love what's around me. I love the cities. Don't trust. I, I think of the first verse of the study experiencing God found in the Psalms. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Live there. That's the vibrant trust he's pouring into the next generation saying, I long for you to trust in God. I, I just wrote down, my grandmother did this for me. I had a moment and it won't be the same. You know, sometimes you preach things and you have an epiphany while you're preaching. But my grandmother was a person who got up at 4 o'clock every morning. If she grew it, she ate it, and otherwise there was no need for it. Um, and, and I love my grandmother, and I was, I just, she gave me this vibrant trust. And I would speak this to great-grandparents, parents, grandparents. I would speak this to you. As, as, I, would, as I would sit at home uh, visiting with her, um, I was a teenager, and I would sit up late at night, like teenagers do, and I was telling this story. My grandmother sat up with me every night, every night. And she gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I was actually preaching this about eight years ago when it struck me, what I'm about to say to you. Um, but she would, she would, I would be watching whatever was on the idiot tube, and, and she would be reading her Bible. My, my grandmother did not talk. She just was a very quiet woman. But she would just read her Bible, and they would, she'd call me Buddy Bo. Hey, Buddy Bo, how's it going? I'm 17 years old. I'm not that interested in spiritual things at that moment. And grandmother would just talk to me in the quiet voice at 1130 at night. And I was sitting and preaching one day. I was going, what was she doing awake at 1130? And it struck me. She never stayed up. She went to bed when the sun set. She was up with me because she loved our God and loved me enough to paint pictures of him. And my grandmother, I wondered, I wondered when she passed away about five years ago, who is going to stand in the gap for me? Thank God for Hebrews 12, that she's a part of the cloud of witnesses. I don't fully know how that works. But I am so grateful for a grandmother who would lose sleep to speak truth into my heart. A grandmother who would speak creativity. And I mean, you know, you, I think you've heard this story. Who would wake up from surgery saying, we're not growing. It's breaking my heart. She went to a little Drayton Mill Baptist Church. And, and here's, here was her running theme. This, this could become a, a full sermon. 
heard what anything was, we've got to get up and bake some cakes and talk about our church because we're not doing it well. And if we're not reaching people, we are utterly failing. And that's how she came out of surgery. Let's bake some. Well, I'm going like, you know what? This is what it's about. We wake up to surgery and think, if the movement of Jesus, if I live through this surgery, the movement of Jesus should go forward. So we, and, and here's a good amen from a, a strong Baptist crowd. You should prepare to amen. Are you ready? If you're going to talk about Jesus, you might as well eat cake. I mean, so we got we to gotta bake a cake and we got to go after the things of God because there's a vibrant trust that's happening. And I love that. And I, I just will end with this. And there's an echo that carries on for generations. And that's just so embedded in Deuteronomy 6. It's a generational echo. It's just the reality that God will carry on his name and carry on his name and carry on his name and that we'll create an echo of just the goodness of God in the land of the living. I just, I just end with this story. There's a lot I could say about a generational echo. I think that I'll speak about that for as long as God allows me to share life with you. And so this won't be a one-time shot. But I, I was reading a story that went well with the generational echo. Actually, I wasn't reading it. Um, I was listening to a guy talk about a story that he had had. And, and uh, this, is, this is the story for us as we wrestle with Deuteronomy 6 and say, God, how do we love you? And how do we communicate that? Talk to me, Lord, about how to impress this. As a father, how do I write this on the door frames of my home? How do I script this onto the hearts of my children? You know, how do we do this? And, I, and, and um, there was a, a, an encounter with the father. I was listening to Reggie Joyner tell this story, and, and it just moved me, and I believe it will you as well. Reggie was talking um, in a gathering that I was there. There was a little group of people. Reggie's a kind of this big family guru guy. He loves families. He loves Jesus and likes to connect the two. And Reggie was just talking, and he said, a father came to me and just started to share his heart heart was broken for his teenage kid and he just kept saying but you know what do we do how do we how do we create he didn't use this word but how do we create a generational echo i want this for the heart of my kid and reggie looked at him and he said something that was powerful and i think absolutely fits in the pages of deuteronomy 6 he said listen listen grandparents listen great grandparents listen parents he said maybe the problem isn't with your kid Maybe the problem is with you. And then this is what he said. Maybe you are failing to paint the wonder and awe of our God with your daily life to your child. And dad walked away. He, he said, I, I wanted to argue with him. And then I walked away and God, had, God just shredded me. There were things that I had intended to do that I had not done. Places that I had intended to go that I did not go things of faith that God had called me to do that I had not done. And so I simply repented before God. And I said, Lord, I want to paint a big picture of an even bigger God. And I want my kid to live no doubt. He said, I walked out of that meeting and walked back in and said to my kid, we're going together and they named a third world country. We're going to live this out together. We're going to sit down together and talk about why. And we're going to story this goodness of God. And maybe the problem isn't that we sit around and look at the next generation and say, you're missing it. Maybe the problem is our generation not telling it. And maybe bigger than that, not living it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength. And impress or paint the majesty wonder of God for a thousand generations.
Jesus, I, I pray that you would call us to a love relationship.